Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Aoife Barry, standing in for your usual host Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what happened to Ireland's rail network, and what's its future? At its peak in 1920, Ireland had 5,600 kilometres of railway. Today, only about one third of this still remains. This month, as part of the Good Information Project, our reporters have been looking at the topic of public transport, and among the many elements covered was Ireland's railway network. Because depending on where you live in Ireland, your access to the rail network could be from good to non-existent. If you live in Dublin, Cork or Limerick, for example, you're well served by routes, but they'll only take you to certain parts of the country. And if you live in Donegal, you've essentially got nothing. But it wasn't always the case. To find out more, on this week's episode, we're joined by Lauren Boland, who's reported on this issue. And first, let's speak to Brian Whelan, who heads up the Good Information Project. Brian, tell us about this latest instalment of what you've been doing. So public transport, as ever, we sort of start off by asking the public to get in touch and sort of give us areas that they'd like to see covered. Overwhelmingly, what people got in touch about was Donegal. We had a significant amount of WhatsApps, emails, people like filling in the uh, open thread on the site. Uh, everyone's talk about Donegal. It's very difficult to get out of Donegal. I think you're going to talk about it today. Uh, other issues were the fact that all public transport is pointed directly at Dublin and it's quite hard to go from one place to another place without having to pass through Dublin and that maybe that should be taken into consideration. Also, the sort of lack of commuting options for people when it's so expensive now living in Dublin, which feeds back into our other topic of housing we've just covered. Yeah, I mean, the topic of public transport touches off so many other things, you know, like you're saying there, including climate, which is obviously a very big issue at the moment. So each cycle of the Good Information Project, you choose a new topic. You've chosen your next one. What's next? So our next topic is somewhat transport related. If you're a billionaire, it's space and the space race. Why are people going to space? What sort of damage is that causing to the planet? What is the role of the European Space Agency? I think that will be a particular focus. Um, So we want to talk to people about space. And if you have questions about space, or if you've got big ideas about space, or if you think that we should leave it alone, you can get in touch with me through all of the usual ways. Um, I'm Brian Whelan at thejournal.ie. That's fantastic. Looking forward to hearing more about that. Thanks, Brian. Now, Lauren, let's turn to you and start with a bit of Railways 101. When did the first railway line actually open in Ireland? So the first railways in Ireland started nearly 200 years ago. You had the first line built in 1834, um, and that was the Dublin and Kingstown Railway. went between Westland Row in the city centre out to Dunleary. Um, And so from there, you had more lines spring up around the country. You had one then going north out of Dublin up to Drogheda. And then also there was uh, the Ulster Railway, which up in the north ran between Belfast and Lisburn initially. um, And then also quickly extended during the 1840s um, to go on down into other counties, um, later down into into Monaghan. So starting in Dublin and then quickly kind of spreading out uh, into the rest of the country. Yeah. So in terms of that growth of the network, like how quick was that growth? Was it you seem to be suggesting there it was very quick that, you know, as soon as the first railway line was set down, that set in train, excuse the pun, a lot more to come very quickly. Yeah. And when it did come in place, it was really quite extensive. You essentially had railways on every part of the island and there were a lot of places connected by rail that now you can no longer reach by train. So say, for example, if you look at Kerry, 
as it stands now, you can travel on the train to Kerry out as far as Tralee. But in the early 1900s, you could travel from Tralee onwards all the way out to Dingle, or you could go on another line to Valencia Harbour. Further up in Mayo, you could get a train from Westport out to Ackle. In Galway, the train went out to Clifton on the coast instead of stopping in Galway as it does now. So there were a lot of places then that were connected by train, um, many of them which no longer are. Wow, it's incredible to hear all of those train stations, you know, when you think about what it looks like now in 2021. I mean, what you've described there, was that what the network looked at its height or was there another peak? You know, if you go to a particular time, would you say there was a peak for the rail network and what did it look like in terms of the level of connectivity? That was probably the peak for it in sort of the early 1900s, once you got past, I suppose, the initial takeoff period and then sort of into its prime before it then started to decline towards the 30s, 40s, when it sort of started to to decline in its use um, and in its, in its connectivity. That kind of point in time where there were stations um, that went, you know, really far out into kind of smaller towns and villages that then sort of started to, to draw back or close down as the, as the railway declined then over the years. So people will be really familiar with the name Irish Rail in the Republic of Ireland and Translake as well up north. But who operated the network so around that time in those kind of early days or the first 100 years or so of the railway network in Ireland? It was a totally different system. So obviously, as you said, today we have Irish Rail, Erin Road Erin, and they they operate the, the whole network in the Republic. But that was only set up in, in the late 1980s. And for a while before that, um, it was operated by CIE, which is still around, but no longer looks after the rails. But actually before that, what you had was a massive number of railway companies that all operated different lines um, and they all operated their own lines and kind of their own area. Um, So say, for example, if you look at County Clare, even just within Clare, you actually had, there were two different independent railways. There was the South Clare Railway, which operated a 42 kilometre line. And then you also had the West Clare Railway and that had its own 43 kilometre line. You also then just around the country had lots of smaller kind of railway and even tramway operators like that around the country. There were also then some kind of bigger mainline railway operators, which would um, operate networks of rails, sometimes acquiring lines from other companies as, you know, new ones came into service or others went out of service, sometimes merging together. Some examples, say, of those, you had the, the Dublin and Southeastern Railway. Um, there was the Midland Great Western Railway. There was the Great Northern Railway um, and lots of different ones like that um, on different parts of the island. So the picture you're painting here is very much of the heyday of the rail network in Ireland and the real decline that started to take place in the post-war period after World War II. Is that right? That's it. So by that point, what you're looking at is significant progress in road transport and also in car ownership. So there were more people buying cars, there were more roads to drive those cars on and, and better roads as well. Um, and that's that's largely still the case today. You know, if you look at data from Census and the Central Statistics Office, it shows that the vast majority of journeys now are made by car. Um, and, you know, that's sort of a legacy from when cars first took off. You know, they've never really lost their dominance, as people know. And so at that time, as car transport rose, there was less reliance on the railways um, and so you know the sort of the knock-on effect of that is that a lot of um, a lot of lines started to close down. And then what about partition like did that have an impact on the railway network here? Where you would see the effects of partition on the railways as people would expect that would be largely along the border and the border counties so 
1957, for example, the Northern Ireland government told the Great Northern Railway, which it operated in counties like Antrim and Derry um, and also in Donegal, but then also um, down into Dublin, it, it was told to cut most of its lines towards the west of Northern Ireland. And so what happened then was that in the Republic, you had some small pieces of lines kind of left behind after that, that maybe used to be connected to a line um, that went through Northern Ireland, but which now no longer existed. These sort of just small kind of chunks of lines left behind that, that weren't really useful anymore. They couldn't serve the purpose that they used to, didn't have the connections they used to have. Um, and, and so those, of course, then fell out of use as well. So moving into the 1960s and 1970s, I mean, did you see kind of cost cutting measures happening there? And and did they, again, affect and kind of cut down even further what we had in terms of the lines, the railway lines around Ireland? That's it. So moving into those later decades, kind of towards the 70s and also into the 80s then during the recession, there wasn't massive investment in rail. Um, So and there was also in, in the years leading up to those decades and in them themselves there were there were lots of lines closing all over the country so say there was a line between Waterford and Tremor that closed in 1960 the North Kerry line from Limerick to Tralee closed in the 70s generally the lines that survived the ones that we have today which sort of spike out from Dublin and then go through bigger towns in other counties and so what happened then in, in say the 70s and the 80s you have the absence of those lines that have closed um, and then also because there wasn't much investment happening you know, there wasn't resources being put in to, to bring any of them back. So, for example, that's you had then more lines closing. So say you had um, uh, a line between Limerick and Clare Morris, um, which, you know, which travels a great, a great deal of the west of Ireland. That was closed. The, the line out to Yall in Cork closed in the 80s. The one exception, I guess, was the Dart. The Dart was electrified in the 80s. So that was obviously a big development for light rail in Dublin. Um, meant that trains could go faster. So that's probably the most significant development in rail from that time that we can point to. Um, but overall, it's, it was sort of marked by continued closures of lines. So if people have read your article, Lauren, on the Good Information Project about Donegal and its public transport situation there, they'll see that in the article there are two images near the top. One is of Donegal and its railway network back in 1920, and then one is of it today in 2021. And it's a very stark difference between the images because, as we'll see in the latter image from today, there's no rail network in Donegal. So can you tell us a bit about how this all happened and how it came about to look like that? Donegal is an outlier and... I mean, originally Donegal had a really well-served railway network. It could bring you to lots of towns around the county. It actually had the largest narrow gauge railway system of anywhere in Ireland or also in the UK. But then what you had in the sort of the mid 1930s into the 50s was that line started to be closed. And that was kind of spurred on by by those cutbacks in other parts of the Republic and also in Northern Ireland, which reduced links going into Donegal um, and that, you know, it was also kind of influenced by by that competition from other forms of transport like cars and, and also buses. So one of the companies that actually used to operate trains in Donegal, um, it had also started to operate buses and then it decided to switch over to buses entirely. So that cut off a huge, a huge kind of network of rail that had been in Donegal that was then just just gone. As you said, there's there's no rail option in Donegal in the present day and there hasn't been for more than half a century. But everyone that I've spoken to about the railways in Donegal, they've all said that there's this real fondness and nostalgia for the railways because 
Some people might have memories of taking the train to school as a child or they had a grandparent who worked on the railways um, and this sort of general desire to see some level of rail return to Donegal. Yeah, I mean, Donegal is referred to as the land that transport forgot in your article. So you talk to people who are users of public transport or who would like to be users of public transport, but instead have to get lifts to a lot of places and historians, uh, like you're mentioning there, you know, of the railway um, network. But you also spoke to people about kind of the general issues around public transport in Donegal. So can you give us a sense of how acute the issues are there? Because you are talking about a very kind of a lot of rural areas as well, that there's very little connectivity between places. It's quite difficult to get around Donegal, even by car. It can be challenging to drive around sometimes, but without a car, it's very, very difficult to try to move around with public transport. So if you're traveling, say, within Donegal or even between Donegal and somewhere else on the Ireland island and you're using public transport, it usually means getting, say, a car to reach a bus stop if you're not fortunate enough to live with live near a stop. And then depending on where you're going, you'll often have to use maybe two or more buses to get to the destination if you're sort of traveling a long distance. And then depending on that, where that brings you, you might need to drive or get a taxi or get a lift onwards to your final destination. So it's all these sort of moving parts um, that go into it that that mean that the journey sort of isn't easy to make. And that can be a real deterrent um, from people taking public transport. There's also a lot of reliance on private bus companies and these private operators that fill the gaps in some places where there aren't public buses. Um, but in terms of the public buses that are there, I guess you have Bus Erin, which operates nine bus routes in Donegal, um, but three of those only run one day a week. And then of the other six routes, they, they usually have between kind of two and six services a day, but they don't always leave early enough in the morning to get someone to work, or they might not run late enough at night to accommodate, you know, going out in the evening, meeting up with people. Um, and then four of those routes also have no services on a Sunday and two of them run once a day on a Sunday. So even where there is public transport and even if there's a route that might get you from point A to point B, the timetable can also be a barrier to using it. Yeah, those examples that you mentioned there about the timetable really stuck out to me when I read that article that, you know, if you miss the bus or if you turn up at the wrong time or something happens, you could be waiting for hours for another bus, you know, so and you, you had a story there of somebody staying in a hotel overnight to get their um, COVID-19 vaccination as well. You know, it's another example of how kind of inconvenienced people can be. Um, now, another good example of a line that fell into disuse um, in Ireland that would be if it was open now, I think would be heavily used is the Western Rail corridor. So what happened with this? So the Western Rail Corridor is that stretch of line that I was mentioning that goes from um, Limerick to up to kind of Athenrye and to Clare Morris and then and then further on up to Clooney and Sligo. So most of it is 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 out of use and it's sort of it's it's a rail line that's kind of emblematic of the gaps in public transport in West of Ireland for a lot of people. It's essentially a, a 240 kilometer long track that stretches between those towns from Limerick all the way up to Sligo. Part of the line has been restored from Limerick up to Athenry, but beyond that, it's been it's been lying out of use um, and has been for decades. So that means that there's there's towns in the West of Ireland that technically have tracks they're connecting them, um, but there's no trains that run on them. So say, for example, if you're in Athenry and you want to go to Castle Bar, it means taking a train along the Galway to Dublin line from Athenry um, to Athlone and then changing to the Dublin to Westport line to get out to Castle Bar. 
instead of a direct link between the towns, which which would be kind of much more uh, straight rather than having to go sort of further into the country and then back out again. Yeah, so you talk to people about this and kind of, you know, what the options might be for the Western Rail Corridor. What what are the options for it now? So there's 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 three main options, I guess, for what may happen to it now. Either it'll be restored back to use as a railway um, or others would like to see it converted into a greenway for cyclists and pedestrians. But there was a report recently that was commissioned um, into the track, which found that into the section of the track between Appenry and Castlebar. And what it said was that restoring the line wouldn't be value for money for the government. Um, and that a do nothing approach was the best option from a financial perspective. So there's a campaign group for rail in the west of Ireland um, and what they were called West on Track. And what they did was they commissioned an alternative report. They took a look at the costs and benefits and they reckon that there is a strong business case for, for reopening the rail. So it's, it's all at a bit of a crossroads now. You have the sort of the dissenting opinions on whether a railway would work, whether it would be sustainable from a financial point of view. You also have others who say, let's make it into a greenway for cyclists um, and and no no real plan in place um, to, to, to go forward with any of those options right now. Um, so, so it's really at a crossroads as to what will happen with the corridor. You've got quite a lot of voices in the discussion and, and saying quite different things. And is that actually included in this kind of a review coming up, isn't there, the government is doing of the rail system, system as a whole? Would that be included in that? So the, the strategic rail review, that's just that's recently been commissioned by the government. Actually, it's been commissioned by, by the Department of Transport here and also by the, um, the infrastructure department in Northern Ireland. Um, so it's going to be an all island look at the at the rail rails that's that's intended to kind of lay out a plan for for the whole of the island sort of looking at the big cities but also at the western rail corridor i spoke to the department of transport and they said that the western rail corridor um would be part part of that review and which i think a lot of people would welcome but also what um the what west on track the campaign group said to me is that they also hope that the review um isn't used as an excuse to sort of put off thinking about the corridor, say for things like the National Development Plan, which is being reviewed at the moment, they would hope that that would still take things like rail into account rather than sort of, you know, c- continuing to sort of rely on, on further and further reports. So at the start of the podcast, you mentioned that there's quite a few other disused lines, you know, they might be quite short, but they're disused around the country. You know, is the situation with the Western Rail Corridor being kind of replicated there? I mean, are there people advocating for other greenways or, I mean, have they kind of been forgotten about? Do we know what the situation is with, with those? I guess another focus point for, for, for another section of disused line in Ireland would be you're talking about the southeast with that, so particularly counties like Wexford, Wicklow, Kilkenny, Carlow, Tipperary. Now, trains do go to those counties, but what locals would tell you would be that, um, sort of similar with the buses, I suppose, in Donegal, it's that the routes or the timetables can't always get them where they need to be for when they need to be there. Um, for example, you know, the first train that arrives down from Dublin in the morning might not be early enough to facilitate getting a train down for an 8am or a 9am start to work. Wexford and Waterford, if you look at those two counties, you know, they're, they're physically quite close together, but they're on separate rail lines. There's the Dublin to Wexford line and the Dublin to Waterford line and they don't intersect. So you don't get the train, you can't get the train between Waterford and Wexford, but there did used to be a line 
that connected the two of them um, went from Waterford going out to the Rossler Europort, but it was shut about a decade ago. Um, and so that's one of the an example, I suppose, of you know where there there used to be a track and uh, that that no longer exists now. And um, there is a campaign to reopen all of these lines, um, and you know it kind of for in the southeast. Um, and what a lot of people are around the country and in, in coastal counties, what a lot of them want is to open a sort of Atlantic corridor of rail where you would see, you know, trains going all the way around the coast, sort of that could be, you know, for functional purposes, but that they also uh, imagine could be a tourist draw. Um, if there were rail links that perhaps you could get on a train in Dublin, go all the way down to Wexford along the south of the country, over to maybe Cork and Kerry, up at Long with the rest of Western Railway Corridor um, and, you know, bring rail back to Donegal and go through Donegal and through the north of Ireland and uh, from Belfast down to Dublin again. That's what uh, the sort of big vision um, for a lot of people, what they would really love to see happen with rail. We are a long way off that. But when you're talking about disused lines and where rail could go, that's where a lot of people would really like to, to see the direction taken. It's so interesting to imagine all of those lines that you've described there across Ireland. And you mentioned the strategic review there that's going to be taking place um, under the Department of Transport. We know as well that Irish Rail, when it comes to its finances, they've been up and down a little bit over the past decade. But up until the pandemic, it saw its passenger numbers rise and along with that an associated growth in revenue, although it's still not exactly flush with cash and the government is kind of having to step in to help it deal with the impact of the pandemic. But generally speaking, is there anything else being done to improve rail connectivity across Ireland? So beyond the rail review, which I think that's that's uh, I suppose the plan at least with that is that that would have um you know kind of a, a definitive look at rail around the country and set out um you know plans for future potential corridors and also looking at these closed or disused lines that's due to start in September and to be completed in a year so hopefully that won't be too long before we get the answers on that but I suppose what's happening right now would be um light rail so. We have the plans, say, for the Metrolink in Dublin and the Lewis in Cork. Those are quite long-term plans. We're not going to see a Lewis in Cork or an underground uh, metro in Dublin, you know, tomorrow. But those are sort of in the works at the moment. And those are kind of the longer-term projects that are going on um, with light rail. Yeah, I think uh, the mention of the metro in Dublin is something that I say some people have been hearing brought up in conversations for quite a few years. So we'll see how that goes. So moving from the railway network, I mean, finally, another element that you looked at as part of the Good Info project was something that impacts everybody who uses public transport, and that's ticketing and fares. Um, so might we see some changes in the future with that? Yeah, in the next few years, we're going to see a whole range of changes to the way that we the way that we buy tickets and the way that we pay fares on public transport. So I was speaking to the National Transport Authority's head of ticketing technology about the changes that are coming in over the next few years. Um, and they're happening first in Dublin, as, I, as most things do. They're happening in Dublin first as part of Bus Connects. Um, but then the plan is to expand out to other parts of the country. So one of the first changes that we'll be seeing, say, on Dublin bus journeys is that instead of um, stages, which is how fares are calculated at the moment, there's um, there's sort of tiers of different fares that you might pay depending on how far you're traveling. They're going to be scrapped and instead there'll be two fares. There'll be a short fare and a 90 minute fare. So with the 90 minute fare, um, there's something slightly similar to it at the moment, which is that currently if a passenger taps their leap card um, for an additional journey within 90 minutes of a first one, 
um, a discount is applied to subsequent fares. So instead, what would happen under the new 90 minute fare is that any subsequent journeys um, within 90 minutes of a first one wouldn't have any initial charge. It would just all be included in that one 90 minute fare. Or if you're just going on a short, shorter journey, the one short fare. So sort of to make the, the process a bit simpler, I guess. Um, and they're expecting to bring that in later this year um, to, to sort of as one of the first changes to kind of set up for the, the larger changes that are, are to come with ticketing. Um, and then and, and then the, those larger changes, say in the longer term, are new options for how we pay for fares, how we buy tickets. So that could mean being able to get on a bus and pay with Apple Pay, with Google Pay, um, tapping a bank card, potentially scanning a QR code from a phone um, or a virtual leap card in a smartphone wallet. Um, and the plan for those is that those would be rolled out by around 2023 or 2024. Well, I'd say a lot of people are looking forward to that day, especially anyone who's been to London, for example, where you can tap on and off buses with your debit card for the last few years, which is highly convenient. Thanks so much for running us through all of that. Lauren, thanks for being on The Explainer this week. Thanks, Aoife. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Lauren Boland and Brian Whelan for joining us. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by producers Aoife Barry, that's me, and Nikki Ryan. If you want to support The Explainer, there's a few things you can do. You could head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute to become a monthly subscriber. You can also leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's such a great way to make sure other people will listen in and hopefully love The Explainer too. The Good Information Project is co-funded by Journal Media and a grant programme from the European Parliament. The European Parliament has no involvement in nor responsibility for the editorial content published by the project. Thank you and catch you next time.